everybody, and welcome to the Valley Tales podcast. I am Gina Maizel, continuing to bring you in-depth coverage of the Phoenix Suns, and I'm so excited to be joined today by my former colleague at The Athletic, but forever friend, as I like to say, Trayvon Edwards, podcasting extraordinaire, uh, running, helping run the NBA Bubble Twitter account, just moved to Portland, is now about to start a new gig, uh, crazy times. How are you, Trey? I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Uh, happy to be here, literally uh, on your podcast, but then also happy to be alive. I was in a car accident roughly uh, two and a half weeks ago that could have been on the other end. So definitely uh, blessed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what a 2020, man. Just this yeah. year, the stories that are going to be written about 2020, the documentaries, the history books, it's just, it's pretty unforgettable. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's get going. We have a lot to talk about. Um, first of all, we will, of course, get to some Suns topics. But before we get to that, I want to talk about just the NBA overall and just what's been going on the past week or so. It is now we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. And I very vividly remember because I was also moving last week, sitting in my empty bedroom at my old apartment when the box didn't come out of the locker room and that sparked everything for that day. And in the past, you know, few days that have continued throughout the playoffs, just you're, you're somebody who's so tapped into the players and you're someone who so has a great handle on the entire league, just now a week out with some time to reflect just what are, what are the biggest things that you've taken away from this week, not just in the NBA, but in sports, but primarily with what's been happening out in Orlando. Well, I mean, more guilty than anything because I seen myself for one working in this industry and understanding that we need them to play for our own sake of jobs but then also understanding as a black man in America how important the strike was you know so being in the middle you know you have to kind of support the players and whatever decision they wanted to make I was going to back um, even if it was the cost of content or, you know, stuff that I had to report on. So overall, I, I commend those young men for, you know, taking that stand and then also um, the other players piggybacking on that scenario. And obviously we had tons of stories kind of come out on what went behind the scenes, but that's something that you can't plan. And it also shouldn't be players that, you know, responsibility to do those things. I mean, I think that they do have a whole optical point and the world is looking at them, but um, to, to be social injustice warriors, I don't expect that to be in the job title. No one's ever trained to be that. No one's ever trained to be a role model. Um, yes, they make a lot of money, but at the end of the day, again, you're not going to, you're not going to make everyone happy. We watch basketball for the content that it is. And, you know, they felt that obviously the league, being uh, African-American dominant, it was an important message to send that, hey, if we don't play, what do you watch? Mm -hmm. Or more so, let's let's pause the world for a little bit and refocus on what's the more important things, which was Jacob Blake shooting. Um, and I mean, the, the names go on, it's, it's, it's constantly, I mean, regardless if they quit playing basketball or not, or they continue to play, these things are happening in inner cities all over the world. Yeah, I mean, I think you're so spot on in that it just, it forced that conversation to come to the forefront again. We obviously had it back in May with George Floyd, but it felt different, obviously, when the season was actually happening, when there were games that could be 
not I want to say protested, but the strike that could be happen, like could happen, that we could actually have that dialogue and the Bucks could come out and, and read a statement that we weren't just having, uh, you know, people write open letters or, or maybe on a Zoom call, like it, it felt a lot more tangible. And so I think obviously this has been happening not just the past few months, but for years and years and years in the history of this country. But it felt a lot more poignant. And the fact that the Bucks started it, the NBA followed the lead, the WNBA followed that lead, even some baseball teams ended up following that lead in, in the coming days. It just it felt even, I think, more powerful in a way than than what happened with you know the aftermath of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and what was happening maybe in late May, early June that time. Yeah, I mean, just when you sort of look at moving forward, um, you know, players are obviously still speaking out about it. Players are still, um, you know, wanting to use their voice. I think the Jamal Murray interview comes to mind after game six when he had the 50-point game and had George Floyd and Breonna Taylor on his shoes. Um, just what what do you anticipate? How do you anticipate this continuing to be a part of the conversation? Because if all goes well with the bubble and COVID, we're still going to be playing basketball until the, the you know, middle of October or, or so to speak. Just what do you anticipate maybe uh, the players continuing to do to, to keep raising awareness about all of this? Um, like I said, I don't I don't expect I don't have any crazy expectations. I think as far as this season, I think that's what the focus is and dedicating it to that um, moving forward. It can be exhausting as well, you know, from that from that standpoint, um, you know, as as most say, like black people should not be forced to do to, to have this fight alone. You know what I mean? So it, it, it's taxing as well. I mean, you know, Jamal Murray obviously, you know, he had an exceptional game and you know chose to share his platform with what was going on. You know, he could have just said, "Oh, I got it going," and you know, shots were falling, and that was it. But he chose to, you know, show awareness on that. And I think you know people had some empathy on that scenario, but. Again, I really don't. I really don't know moving forward. I mean, I, players may go back to normal because I've. I mean, I've seen it happen with the momentum of the George Floyd situation, where you know, for maybe a three weeks or four weeks, it was very intense on social media, and and, and these uncomfortable conversations were being held. As soon as sports was brought back, it stopped. You know, so um, it, it's 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 hard to, to say that, you know, this momentum will continue to happen because this is a never ending fight. I feel, I don't think that is something in your lifetime or my lifetime can be fixed. You know what I mean? Because it's just, you know, the laws aren't even set up that way. The systematic racism is still around. Like there's, it's, it's, it's such a broad picture. Um, you know, and, and, and people, I do say that we've made bounds and leaps, but I think it's more empty gestures, pulling down statues and, and Jersey names and, and things of that stuff doesn't really affect overall the status of the world. Like this is a world fight. You've seen protests all over the world, you know? Um, and then also, you know, prison reform with like inmates not making any money and they're working and putting out fires and stuff like that. Like it, it, it goes so deep or we can have maybe a, a four hour conversation about this, but mm-hmm. To, to, to shorten it up, I don't see it. I can see certain players keeping it up and kind of following through, but other players, you know, life goes on. Yeah, no, for sure. I think the best thing, like you said, it shouldn't be up to 
black Americans to do the fight alone. And I think just the, the biggest thing I can suggest or, or whatnot is just, we all need to just keep educating ourselves and all need to keep listening to our, to each other because we can't understand each other's life experiences if we don't listen. And even when we do listen, we don't fully get it, but that's just, that's the biggest thing I've tried to do over the past months, weeks and months. And We'll continue to do because I know I have so much to learn and that's been even more prevalent over over the past weeks. So, yeah, no, it's going to be interesting to see how this continues to play out. But there's no easy transition into basketball from that as far as the pure on the court stuff. But I'll try to make that segue. Uh, it's It's been a couple weeks now since the Suns went 8-0 in, in the bubble. And I know most of the basketball world is, is now moved on to the playoffs, obviously. But fans here in Phoenix are still... I think riding the high of that a little bit, or at least encouraged about the future. But as somebody who number one was at pretty much every home game and watched this Suns team all season long, but then also has like a broader perspective on the league, just how surprised were you by their performance in Orlando? And just what do you feel like were the biggest things that contributed to them going eight and zero and nearly forcing their way into the playoffs? I won't lie. I was very surprised. I mean, obviously, you know, early on, we got to see them have a hot streak and get some some media attention there, you know, but then also injuries and suspensions and, you know, nagging injuries. And, you know, it was a bunch of inconsistencies, but I thought Coach Williams did um, a great job keeping his group intact. And then also, you know, with Devin going to the All-Star game for the first time and then also um, getting a second chance at it, I felt like, you know, normally – Obviously, COVID was a strain on America, but it was a good thing that happened to the Suns because it was like those young guys getting a second chance, well, a, a mini viewpoint on the next season to come. It was like another season. It was a sub season, mm-hmm. you know, because you had that four minutes, that I mean, that, that four months down, but time to like build with each other, um, get stronger, get healthy. And then they just locked in. They weren't on social media doing a lot of things. Monty had those guys ready to play. You know, they added campaign with, you know, bounced around in the league as a journeyman and found, I don't want to say he found a home, but he looks very, he looks very comfortable out there. His confidence was high. His scoring was high. You know, he made some big plays, him and Javon Carter and, you know, the emergence of Mikael Bridges looking better as a player and they played without Kelly Oubre. So, you know, a lot of things go up in the air on those thoughts. And Devin just played, looks like the best player um, outside of Damian Lillard. So um, as as uh, Suns fans listening, I would be very um, positive about what you've seen because that's just some good momentum. And obviously, um, if the season has a quick turnaround, then they have a chance to do something special. But then also I'm interested to see what James Jones and, and you know, Robert Sarver does with uh, – more so the development in the draft, you know, I mean, it's, it's still a lottery pick and, you know, this, this draft is wide open. So they have a chance to add some talent. Um, I suggest taking best available or uh, filling a team need. Um, and then from there, you know, kind of figure things out, you know, what they are going to decide to do with Kelly or Mikel, whether they start or, you know, um, offset or start both of them. I mean, I think those are some more important things and maybe look at the free agent market as well as the trade market. Um, but moving forward, I think if Monty Williams is given the time that he needs to develop these guys, they're going to be in the right, the right cuff of things. They could be like a, a Memphis or a Portland or those teams that were on the cusp of the eight, seven. I mean, I don't have them 
you know, top five, but because there's still room for improvement and things to, to patch up. Um, but, but they're right there. They're on the right path. Yeah, no, I think what you said about kind of having a, essentially a second off season or an, or an early off season, I think really fits, especially for somebody like Cam Johnson, who was a rookie, basically got his first rookie off season, clearly took advantage of it, got a lot stronger and then gets put into the starting lineup because Ubre is out. And then also Dario Saric had an ankle injury early on in Orlando. So he kind of gets pushed into that spot and that lineup works as far as uh, Mikhail and, and Cam there on the wing or in those two forward spots uh, alongside the rest of that starting lineup. And so for somebody like him, who was such a, I guess, maligned draft pick over a year ago, I, I think that plays perfectly into, into what you're saying as far as, uh, I mean, the whole wing, the whole wing rotation, as far as what to do with Kelly, like you said, you know, where Mikhail fits in, where Cam Johnson fits in, like, how do you see that, shaking out or how do you see the potential options put that that the Suns could do as far as keep all three of those players try to trade one of them what, what do you think are, are the options there for this team well for one I mean just to to to, to go back on one of my statements uh I don't want to villainize Kelly Oubre I think he is uh, a very good team teammate for those guys um but it's a business and however it may be whether you know I'm approaching a contract year, et cetera. Um, I think he has one more year, but just something to look into. And then also the, the growth of Mikel playing well, but being on a rookie deal, that's just how the business works. You kind of shop and see what you can bring back. Um, Monty does a good job at kind of moving guys in different positions. So those guys can play two, three, four. Um, and it works with their, with their spread offense, you know, with that, they're, that they're using sometimes. And they all complement Devin really well. Um, so, um, it's interesting, the more, the, I mean, the more, the merrier at this position, you know, I mean, I think that is because injuries happen all the time and it's the next man up league. I think that's a good problem that they have going into the next season. Um, as far as, you know, point guard wise, it's kind of up in the air. Like again, Javon's great. I think that, uh, you know, he is the heart and hustle of the team sometimes him and Mikel and they, they work really hard. And especially when, Starters do starter things and get lackadaisy. He's the one guy to play his heart out, you know, so I think he's well-deserving of that spot. And then also, you know, um, Ricky, you know, he's been battling some injuries, but he's also one of the smartest minds in basketball on the defensive end. He knows how to break plays and replays and, you know, make the right pass and get everybody. And he's very unselfish on the offensive end. Um, so, you know, they have a, they have a lot to look into because, you know, they drafted heavy guards, you know, with, with, with J- Jalen and, and, and Ty and, and, you know, you can, and Ellie and whoever it is, you know, like they, they have so many people. So it's a lot of things to factor in, but um, I'm interested to see, you know, who they go after or who they move. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just when you sort of look at strictly the, the contract breakdown, as far as here are upcoming free agents, here are who's under contract. It's, it's the front court with, Baines is an unrestricted free agent. Dario Saric is a restricted free agent. Frank Kaminsky's got a team option. So the, the front court around Aiton and then the back court, like you mentioned, just with all those guys that you have so many young players, but no one that's really taken the reins. You mentioned campaign coming in. I don't know if he's the answer, but I think he's at least earned more of a look going into next season and, and, and all of that. Just as far as 
names out there that you think might be a good fit or, or things that are doable? Because again, I get tweets from fans or emails from fans and they, they want all these crazy scenarios that I'm like, well, this isn't actually feasible for one reason or another. Or is there anybody that comes to mind or any, any, even if it's just like a type of player, like the Suns need someone who can do this, like what, what comes to mind for you as far as good fits potentially moving forward? Um, I, I don't have my finger on the cap, but I would like them to go after a Van Vliet. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen a lot of people mention Julius Randle if Kelly wanted to go to New York. Um, I've seen Lonzo Ball. Yeah. You know, those are the three games that really kind of stick out. But like, I personally, I like this team as is, mm-hmm. you know, if they could actually stay and do anything, but just like, obviously if, if Kelly wanted out and, you know, it was a mutual fine, maybe bring back a vet and a pick. Mm-hmm. You know, just for, for for future security. I mean, I think that's the best move. But these guys enjoy playing with each other. I think they lose Aaron. So maybe a, another big, you know, in, in that instance, you know what I mean? One of those guys. But outside of that, I think they're, I think they're pretty good if they can stay together. Because they're a young team. Right, right. Did, did anything besides someone like Campaign who sort of came out of nowhere, is there is there something from the bubble that you think is – most sustainable as far as the way that this guy, this guy played or the way that this worked um, that you feel like has the, the most carryover potential into next year? Well, it's think of, think of a never ending training camp. Yeah. You know, you don't have any outside distractions. I mean, you're kind of isolated. You focusing on ball, you don't play well, you don't play. Um, and then also just more so guys just challenging each other. They understand it. They understand what it takes. That was the first time Devin probably played for something um, that that mattered since since Kentucky. Mm-hmm. So you know he had some sense of pride there, and then you know obviously riding riding off the you know the the, the fumes of you know the be legendary campaign with Kobe Bryant and stuff like that. He's 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 just more focused and locked in. Just even getting the, the experience of even going to the All Star game and seeing what it feels like. Mm-hmm. Now I think he's motivated to go back in. So, you know, he, he understands. And, you know, I, I always question just leadership because, for one, I don't think he's a bad leader. I think that most players that get drafted to teams and they're very good, they're handed the keys early and have to learn on the fly. Right. And with the years under his belt now, I think that he's willing to step up and be more vocal in the locker room and obviously lead by example by sacrificing his game, you know, early on we got a chance to talk to Monty and, and, and Devin and, 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 and hear out his own mouth that, you know, Monty wanted him to buy into the offense, he wanted him to get his teammates more involved, step up on the defensive end. Well, he showed all that, you know what I mean? We all know that Devin can go out there and get 50, 60 points, but at the end of the day, what can he do to complete and help his team? Because it's not Devin Booker and the Suns, it's the Suns because there's no Devin Booker success. Like, I mean, he doesn't reach the pinnacle without the team. You know, so those are the things that I think that he saw work by buying into Coach Williams. Yeah, absolutely. We've been talking for almost 20 minutes now and have yet to mention DeAndre Ayton's name. Um, He obviously is coming off a very bizarre season when you look at the suspension at the beginning of the year, couple minor injuries that kept him out of some games and then, you know, obviously finishing in the bubble. What do you make of his first two seasons and then maybe 
what's still the potential. I mean, obviously I think long-term he's got a ton of potential, but as far as moving into his third year, cause that oftentimes feels like such a big season for guys, but it's a little different for him because he played, you know, not even, he played 30 games in the regular season and then eight games, obviously in the bubble. So just what do you make of, of his development where, where he goes from here and kind of just a very bizarre second season for him? Well, I had no crazy expectations because um, big man, it takes about three years to develop. Mm. And that's kind of been the track record of that. So um, it was more so with him being drafted so young and being so raw. Um, he's still learning. You know what I mean? He mentioned to us early on as far as Mark Bryant working with him and showing how to not tire himself out. You know what I mean? When fighting in a low block and just learning how to, you know, add more skill set. He wanted to add the uh, mid-range jumper and stretch out to the three as well. I mean, those are things that he can apply to his game and spread the floor. But um, I think next year should be the one, you know, um, that, that helps him. That gives him that true feel of, hey, I'm, I'm here. You know, he has, he has the capability of averaging 22 and 10 or something like that. Double-doubles for sure. Um, but he just has to mentally lock in. And I think that that immaturity sometimes is where the big question is or where Suns fans grown because they want him to mature overnight. And I think that's not the process because you have to factor in, he's what, 21 years old? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, that's the same thing. The reason why B came out so great because he had two quote unquote NBA redshirt seasons. Right. So during the time he had nothing but to work on his game and work on those certain things. So when he actually had that instant shakeup and everybody's saying he's the best big in the league, he had that experience to get beat up in practice and learn from his mistakes and then get some game experience. And when he got the game experience, it, it was nothing you really could do to him. So I think the same thing with DeAndre, obviously, you know, um, if everything goes as planned and he's able to play a full season, he can be scary, especially with this young, young team. Yeah, for sure. And what you mentioned about it taking big men three years to, to kind of start developing or to get to that first check mark. Monty's mentioned that a ton of times too, because obviously people look at that he worked with Anthony Davis early in his career in New Orleans, but he also had LaMarcus Aldridge early in his career in Portland. And so he has those two examples and those are two, I mean, Anthony Davis is potentially an MVP type player, but Marcus Aldridge for sure an all-star level player. And the the patience, you can just see that Monty has it and is like, look, guys, like this is going to take some time and this is going to be something that it's not going to happen overnight. And I think even just seeing from his rookie year, the defensive improvement from year one to year two was so evident. And so there's, I think, no reason to think that um, – that that can continue or that he can add other parts to his game or that certain things will develop, especially if he gets a full season. And he did pull out the three pointer in the bubble, which he had been teasing that forever. Um, is, is that something that you feel like he needs in his game or is that something that um, just he's satisfying his own scratching that itch that he's had to, to pull out? That yeah. I think, I think it's kind of like looking left to right and seeing people do it. Yeah. You know, I don't think it's needed. I mean, I think maybe a mid-range jumper, if you can have a consistent mid-range jumper from 18 to 20 feet out, that's that's not a problem. But I also don't see it being a necessity, you know, especially when if he can eat with his hands and just grab every rebound and dunk it forcefully, um, like Amari Stoudemire used to. I mean, there's only one Amari Stoudemire, but 
DeAndre doesn't move like Amari Stoudemire. He's, he moves fast on defense, but not on the offensive end with, with his feet. So um, the skill is there, and I definitely don't think that the three-point is needed. But, you know, if Monty's cool with it, then, you know, let him continue to develop it. But it reminds me of just kind of like how Andrew Bynum was mm-hmm. sometimes going off the rails and just not sticking to what's really good. So um, tons of potential there. Um you know, one of the one of the best players under twenty three in this game and got a chance to, to to really skyrocket and take this team to the top if he locks in. Yeah, no, it's interesting you mentioned Amari Stoudemire because I think some Suns fans are so spoiled by all those years with Amari that when DeAndre doesn't have that aggressiveness or that edge to him, like that's what Suns fans think every you know, big man should be, or that it's only one Amari Stoudemire, only one. We haven't seen too many repeat that. I mean, it can be guys like right now, it's a guy in the, um, in the draft right now, Obi Toppin, mm-hmm. and that's his player comparison. Now, although he's dunking in, 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 uh, NCAA doesn't mean that that's going to, you know, if that athleticism isn't met in the NBA, because guys are just as, you know, athletic or stronger or et cetera. And, you know, he either can go one way, he either can be, Amari Stoudemire, or it can be Derek Williams of University of Arizona, which is yep. no not to Derek Williams, but the hype was so real against that, watching that Duke game that, you know, that was the expectation. And, you know, I just hope that it pans out. Yeah. You sort of looking at the broader team now, you sort of alluded to that next year you think the Suns could potentially be a fringe playoff team, but Man, oh man, you look at the West and it is still so stacked with all the contenders that you know will be contenders next year with a team like Golden State coming back healthy with kind of these younger teams, a Memphis, maybe a Sacramento, if they can get it back together, New Orleans, of course, even Minnesota with, with, the, with the guys they have there with Kat and uh, D'Angelo Russell, just yeah, where do you, where do you feel like the Suns fit in, or is it really just a matter of any given year? It's it's injuries. It's just how things come together. But yeah, where where do you see them in in the pecking order, or what's what is going to be the next step to being that type of playoff contender? The next step is consistency. That's all it is. I mean, they've been firing coaches, hiring coaches left and right every year, and I think that's the one thing. It starts with the front office on down to the coaching staff, on down to the players. If you're constantly swapping guys out, there's no chemistry built. And I think that if they can keep this unit and don't change too much, I think that they have a chance to grow. Like, you know, if they can ride this momentum from from the bubble into the next season, I think they'll be in good good standard. You know, Coach Monty can remain with this group and they don't shift, shift too many people in that they have to kind of teach them the quote-unquote son's way then they're on the right path. I think that's the main thing. That's what made Golden State so successful. That's what made the San Antonio Spurs so successful for so long because mm-hmm. they got they they built a rapport of Spurs guys who would actually fit. You have to find a fit. You can't just go off talent because sometimes it just doesn't work that way. You can go acquire any guy, but if they're not fitting in the in the coaching plan of what you're trying to do, then you know, and I got a chance to talk to Willie Green. Uh, months before the all-star and he was just saying like you know potentially how um they wish they could have had josh jackson the year like monty coached josh jackson because you know i think that that disconnect between josh jackson and igor was more of a, a, a misunderstanding of you know a lot of guys just need maturity and seeing 
not more so representation, but just kind of letting them know that I got your back. And I think that was kind of more so the, the friction there, you know? So, um, you know, kudos to Josh Jackson in his new situation and hopefully it can work out that way. But again, it's the same thing with campaigns, um, history with Monty in Oklahoma city. You just, some guys, just, you know, you have your guys and you know who are going to run through a wall for you. So, you know, if they, if Phoenix can get those guys that, that are bought in and, and not negative and all about team culture, sky's the limit for them. Yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned the San Antonio way, because if anybody's going to follow that, it's, it's Monty Williams, given his history mm-hmm. with pop and just in that program, both as, as a player and as a, a front office person, uh, as far as the rest of the playoffs, and again, Suns fans generally are NBA fans, so they're still watching everything that's going on. You mentioned somebody like Fred Van Vliet as, as a potential target in the offseason. Are there any other players that you feel like Suns fans should be watching, keeping an eye on to be like, huh, he might be a fit, or uh, what about him? Or, or does Fred kind of top the bill as far as that's concerned? Like, again, I didn't look at the salary cap and what they can afford, Um but a big target is going to be Montrez Zarrell. Yeah, he's an entry. He's a big. He's a big front court guy that has high energy. He can give you. You know, he doesn't have to start. He's going to get his numbers regardless. And if he can come in, whether he starts at the four or he comes in and backs up DeAndre, like that. That's a guy that that can, you know, give that energy and keep it going and contain and give you something. Sometimes he, he slacks off on defense, but then also sometimes he's high energy with help side blocks and stuff like that. But um, I haven't really looked too much into who's available and who's not or who's able to walk. Um, but, yeah, those, there's certain, certain guys that are just kind of off the rails, and I think that the Knicks are going to kind of throw money at a lot of people if they swing and miss at, you know, the certain big names that they're trying to get. And they do that every year. So they end up paying, overpaying a guy and changing the market constantly. Yeah, just because you mentioned the Knicks and they're now run by Leon Rose, who used to be Devin Booker's agent, uh, that naturally leads to connections between, oh, the Knicks should trade for Devin Booker. And of course, we've seen that with Minnesota and and Kat and D'Lo and whatever. Again, as someone who, how different is the national narrative surrounding Devin Booker's situation from your perspective different than what you see in, in the market in Phoenix? That's clickbait. Yeah. It's clickbait. It's a lot of lot of sit on hand stuff. Slow news day. I mean, at this point, you know, Devin's never verbally said that he wanted out. I mean, ideally he sees his two friends um joining up, but you know, that's just the business of that's the business side of it. It didn't work out of Odilo forced his way to Minnesota. He didn't have that much, you know, obviously Cat wanted some help and you know, obviously getting a friend there possibly would help, but that doesn't mean that they're going to win ball games if they landed Devin Booker or that the Suns would be interested in taking a top pick and starting all the way over. They're already rebuilding as is, even with Devin Booker. There's nothing that has been quote unquote built since Steve Nash has left. So these are things that are still growing and I don't think they want to go backwards. So um, I'm not seeing Devin Booker leave all that money on the table when he reads up when that, when that five-year deal is up, you know? So um, it would have to be really sour um, for him to really want out, or it's a business, a business deal. That's just like a deal that you just can't turn down. Like, I mean, Portland's not trading Damian Lillard, you know, or I don't see the Suns acquiring Ben Simmons, 
which I would like Ben Simmons in Phoenix, but I don't see Phoenix acquiring Ben Simmons for Devin Booker in that case. That's what I'm saying. Right. Right. You know, those are the, those are the deals that just kind of like, all right, what are we talking about here? You know, I mean, those are the things that you just kind of just throw out and lobby because it's lazy, you know, like nobody's going to take that type of deal. It would have, it would have to be, he would have to be a pain to the media and pain to the organization. Right. Where we're just like, Oh, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to be covered. He doesn't want to play here. He's just kind of packed it in. His numbers are going down. Let's get him out of, out of Dodge. But you know, he's, he's giving back to the community. He's playing well. He's made the all-star team. This is what he built. You know, everybody doesn't want to team up and lose the competitiveness or be that desperate for a championship. Yeah. Yeah. You, you talked about situation too, like with that revolving door of coaches and front office people in his first four or five years, it's like, if it gets worse than that was, then he has every right to want to one out. But it's like, we, I think at least everybody hopes that within the organization that you've now moved past all of the, the tumultuousness and, and all the turmoil and just all the bad stuff that now, okay, the, the train is finally on the tracks and it's at least going somewhere where before it's like, okay, if you were okay, if you got through that stuff, then now it's going to be a lot easier or not a lot easier, but at least it's more of a, of a direction moving forward. Mm -hmm. So I completely agree. Before I let you go, um, I sort of alluded to it at the top, but you have a new gig on top of all your other gigs. I do. Uh, please share what you're what you're going to be up to here starting. So I announced uh, a couple of days ago that I will be joining uh, Wyden Kennedy, New York as a creative um, working in the advertising business. I'm very excited. It's a new field that I've never worked in before. Um, and this sprung up about creating NBA bubble life. Um, it's very hard to uh grow grow uh, an account on social media sometimes i mean it's a it's a it's a swing or miss business um but we were fortunate to grow nba bubble life with 100,000 followers um in a little over a week um so you know it started off as a passion project and landed you know myself and drew reese a job there at white and kennedy um and i'm excited to get working there um for those who may not know what Wyden Kennedy is, all your favorite commercials, like the Nike half and half um, commercial, Wyden did that. Um, all the McDonald's commercials, Wyden's responsible for those. Old Spice, you know, I mean, you can go down the line, most of the great work that you've pretty much enjoyed, Wyden has, is responsible for. So um, I'm excited to work on certain accounts and, 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 and create some good content with some great people. I mean, I think the more so thing that, that made me choose this position is just the team environment, how humble and, 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 and how dedicated to the work they are versus that the individual accolades. And that's kind of me. I've always been kind of a behind the scenes person. I mean, although, you know, on social media, it seems like you're stroking your own ego when you're, you're at is when you're retweeting your work, it's yeah. not that you're trying to say, you know, Hey, look at me. It's just like you're sharing the work when you retweet it. Yes. You know, and that's the same thing. So I'm not, I, I never, I never want to make it ever seem that it's never about the work. It's always about the work. Um, and that's, that's been my main goal. Although I will miss teaching. Um, there are great teachers out here still doing great work. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's so awesome. Um, as far as the NBA bubble life too, I, I meant to ask you about that and just totally forgot. Um, the fact that it's 
led you to a new job is awesome as far as like a grassroots thing that that blew up and and really helped you guys out personally too is, is amazing but just doing that now we're six weeks into the to the bubble even more than that almost two months into the bubble just what what's been the most fun part about doing that or what's been the most rewarding part about just giving that glimpse into what's what's been going on out there in Orlando well, for me personally, the fun part was more so just bringing happiness to the timeline because it was some dark times at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then secondly, um, the element of surprise, the people finding out who, who I was, yes. like, oh, it's you, you know, I, I was getting DMs from everybody, you know, and at this point, or people were sending me my own tweets. <laughs> it was kind of funny because I'm like, yo, that's crazy, right? Like, that's a good, that's a good account. And, you know, trying to play it cool and keep a secret because it wasn't about us. It was about the content. And I think that's what makes it so special. And also protecting the players and putting out good content, you know, because most of these guys normally hear good or bad, how they play and not how how human they are. Mm-hmm. The bubble has given us experience to humanize these multimillionaires. Yes, they started off complaining about certain foods which we would love to have but also showing the goofy side and personalities you know i mean my favorite happens to be hassan Whiteside, Mm -hmm. just because he you know he just had had the energy it was always there you know whether it was funny voices or disneyland filters but other guys that you had no clue about you know whether it was bash fishing or golf Mm -hmm. um and it just created an opportunity of good calls you know and the national coverage was nice and all but overall our main goal was just to you know, shine a positive light on what on, on, on people's days more so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's all I got for you. Anything else you want to touch on sons wise, bubble wise, life wise, the floor is yours. Only thing I'm going to say is subscribe to Substack for Gina. That's it. Go <laughs> ahead. Get them subs up. That's all I care about. Nothing else. Yes. Appreciate it. Well, we had jokes, an inside joke that I can now share. We had, joked amongst each other the whole the whole season about we need a podcast we need a podcast so we don't quite have our own podcast but it's so great to to connect with you and to actually do a podcast with somebody who's a master at this medium so (laughs) appreciate you joining (laughs) yeah thank you so much all right everybody we'll see you next time